Today's scripture reading is taken from the Old Testament. And I shall be reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and the reading is from verses 4 to 21. Verse 4. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that you that your that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Verse 16, Honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's really good to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Maybe I can start off us by praying. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we ask that this morning, your word will continue to shape us and change us. Pray that we would see freedom for the captive. We would see balms for the wounded. For myself, I pray for self-forgetfulness that I would not worry about what people think about this preacher, but that I would just worry about what they think of you, our God and our Creator. Show us Christ this morning, the beauty of your Gospel, and the hope and joy we have in this life and the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I remember about going through national service is all the rules I had to follow. My clothes had to be a certain way. I had to wear the clothes a certain way. My hair had to be a certain way. Wherever I wanted to go, I had to march. When I saw an officer, I had to salute. Everything was controlled from what time I got to eat, what time I could sleep, what time I had to wake up. And if I didn't follow the rules, there were a variety of consequences. From the mild, such as doing push-ups and so on, to the serious, such as going to the detention barracks. A life full of rules and, and all sorts of consequences if the rules were disobeyed. That's how many of us have at some point come to view the Ten Commandments and the laws of the Old Testament. And, and these laws are often used as evidence for so many things that people think, people feel are wrong with this Christian faith that we have, such as a dictator God who just wants nothing more than to control every part of our lives, a life lived in consequ uh, consequently full of fear of judgment, a self-centered God who insists on everyone obeying him, or a jealous God who seems so unlike the God of the New Testament. This morning, as we go into Deuteronomy 5, we'll be trying to address some of these views as we look at the Ten Commandments. And may I start by putting to you today that a big reason why we struggle with the Ten Commandments is that we only read the Ten Commandments. We don't take the context into account. A couple of Fridays ago, I was telling my youth small group that I was going to be preaching on the Ten Commandments. And one of the youth, he goes to a mission school, was telling me that his school was going through the Ten Commandments at their chapel. One commandment a week. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's really good to know what the Ten Commandments are. But if that's the only thing we read, if all we know is the first or the Tenth Commandment, we will end up with this warped view of God as a God who only wants to control our lives. So like I said, today we'll be spending a fair amount of time talking not only about the Ten Commandments, which we read uh, during the scripture reading just now, but we'll also be looking at the context of the Ten Commandments. We'll be asking three questions of the Ten Commandments this morning. Firstly, why did God give them? If, if you're following on your handout, it's in the handout. Why did God give them? What are we supposed to do with them? And are we able to obey them? Three questions, and we'll start with the first one. Why do we have the Ten Commandments? Why do we have the Ten Commandments? And, and the answer is this. God loves you and wants to teach you how to live. I repeat, God loves you and wants to teach you how to live. Let, let's try and unpack that. Look at me at, at verse 6, the immediate context. Chapter 5, verse 6, the immediate context of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is a really important context and it's really important to spot. Before God gives the Ten Commandments, God has already rescued the Israelites from slavery. He has already started giving them land. He has already promised to give them more land. He has already given them His presence, has already given them many, many, many descendants. You see, He has already started to fulfill the, con- the unconditional promise He made to Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. So before He gave the Ten Commandments, God has rescued them and He blesses them not for any other reason than because He loves them. Look at chapter 7, verses 6 to 8. You, I've got it on the slide. For you are people holy, which means set apart, separate from, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you, are, you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the, God, the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. So having, having rescued them, now God gives them these Ten Commandments for His people to obey. And at this point, some of us may be thinking, aha, that's, that's a contradiction, right? You said God loves His people, and, and we see that beforehand, but if He truly loves His people, if God loves, God's love is truly unconditional, then surely He wouldn't be forcing us to live a certain way. He wouldn't be trying to limit our freedom with these commandments and laws throughout the Bible. But you see, true love isn't actually unconditional. True love isn't actually unconditional. So I, I'm a, a father of two boys. Ezra is seven months old and, and Josiah is, is two year, just turned two in January. And Josiah is at that age where he started to be able to tell us what he wants, mostly in broken English, was to tell us what he wants and, and to directly disobey what we have asked him to do. One of the things that he started to do is he likes to pinch his younger brother, Ezra. Sometimes he will ask for permission first. So he will crouch over Ezra and he will look us in the eye and go, Jojo, pinch Titi? <laughs> Other times he realizes that uh, we've, we've never said you can pinch Titi. So he goes ahead and he just pinches or he pulls off his socks or whatever it is that he does. If, if I love Josiah, and I do, what should I do? You see, my, my love for Josiah is unconditional in the sense that no matter what he does, even when he's puked on the bed, flung spaghetti sauce on the floor, pinched his titi, and okay, I know if your parents have older kids, this is nothing <laughs> at the moment. But this is, this is what I've experienced. Even if he's, no matter what he does, I will always love him. That's unconditional love. But my love for him is not unconditional in the sense that I will let him do whatever he wants. In fact, it's because I love him that I need to teach him to live the right way. Something I've learned as a parent is that true love means that whatever they do, we will love them. But because we love them, we cannot let them do whatever they want. I'll say that again. True love means that whatever they do, we will always love them. But because we love them, we can't let them do whatever they want. And that's how it is with God's love. It's precisely because He loves us that He gives us these instructions on how to live. These are the exact reasons that God gives in Deuteronomy in 
In verses 16 and 33 of chapter 5, God emphasizes that he is giving the law that it may go well with his people. And we see again in, in, in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, just the previous chapter, where it says, keep them, referring to the commandments, and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So the laws God gives His people will set them apart as a wise and understanding people, as a great nation. In these laws, we see the Creator instructing the created on how to thrive in creation. Instructions that only the Creator can give and instructions that the Creator would only give if He cared for and loved His creation. Let, let, let's, let's try and think about it another way. What if a parent didn't have any opinion, didn't give any direction to his child? Papa, what do you think I should wear? Up to you. Papa, should I eat chicken or fish? Up to you. Papa, what time should I be home? Up to you. Papa, is it okay if I hang out with so-and-so? Up to you. Mr. Bay, Josiah has started to hit his classmates. True story. It's up to him. That, I didn't say that. <laughs> Mr. Bay, Josiah has started skipping school. Oh, it's up to him. Mr. Bay, Josiah has been arrested by the police. It's up to him. You see, true freedom doesn't mean no boundaries. True love doesn't mean no instruction. And after a while, up to you just sounds like, I don't care. Have you ever felt that God doesn't care? Have you ever felt that God is some distant being that is far removed from the world? Have you ever felt lost in this life, like, ship, like a ship without an anchor, struggling to understand how to live this life? See, this morning we learned, my brothers and sisters, that the Ten Commandments teaches us that God does care. The same way that God cared enough to rescue the Israelites from slavery and cared enough to teach them how to live as His people, the way He created them to live, God has rescued us from slavery so that we can live as His people according His commandments. So why do we have the Ten Commandments? Because God loves us and wants to teach us how to live. Which brings us to the next point. What are we supposed to do with the Ten Commandments? What are we supposed to do with the Ten Commandments? The answer is this, respond to God's love with love. Respond to God's love with love. Let me read the vows from a wedding that happened way back in 2013. I, Samuel, take you, Jessica, to be my wife, to love you as Christ loved the church, to readily forgive as Christ has forgiven me, to nourish and cherish you, to trust, respect, and protect you, putting your well-being always above my own, for better or for worse, in sickness and in, and in health, till death, death do us part. As you can guess, this was uh, from my wedding. And the, these were the vows that I said when I committed to marrying my wife, Jess. They mapped out what the shape of our new relationship as husband and wife would look like concrete ways that I intended to express my love 
and commitment to her. And, and that's actually a pretty good way to look at the Ten Commandments. They are, they're actually very similar to marriage vows. They were a list of things that the Israelites were committing to when they agreed to be God's people. An expression of their love for Him in response, as we heard just now, in response to His love for them. And before we go on, maybe we can just take a moment to think about how lopsided this relationship is. Our response of love to God utterly pales in comparison to the love that He has for us. If God's love is like this magnificent, intricate, priceless sculpture, our love in response is like the shadow that the sculpture casts on the floor, a very, very, very poor imitation of the real thing. And know this, that God doesn't call us to love Him because He needs our love. Like some solar-powered battery that needs the sunlight to survive, God doesn't need our love and praises in order to keep on being God. No, God calls us to love Him because that is what will give us the most joy, loving Him who is infinitely lovely and infinitely worth loving. In our self-centered state, we come, we come to the, these commandments thinking, why should we love God? When really the question is, why should God love us? And the Ten Commandments, as a summary of the Old Testament laws, give us the shape of our relationship between God and His people. And obeying God's laws are sort of like keeping our marriage vows, our response of love to His love for us. So the Ten Commandments, you can broadly break them down like this. The first four commandments are to do with our relationship with God. The first four commandments are to do with our relationship with God, which tells, which Jesus tells us flows out of the first commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and Eugene will be going through this more in detail in chapter 6 next week. The rest of the commandments, the, 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 the second six, uh, are to do with our relationship with each other and can, which Jesus summed up in Matthew 22 as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, I'm not going to go through each commandment in detail. We don't have time for that. But I'm going to give us three pointers, just three pointers to help us read and apply the Ten Commandments. And I hope that on our own, we will go back after this morning and, and spend time reading the Ten Commandments. So the first thing is this. I'm quoting another preacher here. When you read the Ten Commandments, don't get stuck in the what, but fly to the why. <laughs> don't get stuck in the what, but fly to the why. So I read out the vows I made to Jess. And imagine if all I did every day after that was to stay in a room all by myself, read my vows, and think about whether I was doing them well. After a while, two things would probably happen. Firstly, Jess would cease to be a source of joy and she'd become a source of frustration and failure. And secondly, I would end up trying to cut corners, focusing on doing the bare minimum to keep my vows. Instead, the way to keep my vows is to delight in Jess, to spend each day with her, seeing how she is worth loving, reminding myself of why I married her, and how God is using her to bless me. So to apply this to ourselves, when was the last time we spent time with God, delighting in Him, refreshing ourselves with His Word, reminding ourselves of the joy we have in Him, connecting with Him in prayer? Obeying God's commandments are our way of showing that we love Him, but so often, we look at the what of the Ten Commandments while forgetting about the why, and we mechanically end up, speaking from experience, we may mechanically end up following each commandment 
And if we do that, we end up resenting God and trying to do the bare minimum to get by. So Jess and I are part of the youth ministry. One of the most common questions that the youth ask us is, does the Bible allow me to, insert word, does the Bible allow me to drink? Does it allow me to get a tattoo? Which, which are good things to ask. We should be asking if these are things that, God, that delight God. But you see, if we reflect on our lives and we realize that if that's the only thing we're asking about the Bible, seeing the Bible as a set of rules rather than the story of God's love, we will end up seeing God as a dictator rather than a father. So, so my, my point is this. If you don't know that God loves you, and if you don't see God as worth loving, may I say, don't bother trying to follow the Ten Commandments. Because if you did, you end up seeing God as a source of judgment, restriction, and frustration. And may I also say that if that is your view of Christianity, that of just following a bunch of rules in order to be a good Christian, doing all these things in order to get God's love. May I just say, I'm so sorry, but that's not how it is. This yoke upon yourself, you can, it can be lifted. This dread you have every day, worrying about whether you have done enough to earn God's favour, you don't have to feel that way, because that's not how it is. The same way that God rescued the Israelites and then gave them the commandments. Know this, God has rescued us. We read during worship, Ephesians chapter 2 just now, God has rescued us not by grace, but by faith that we've been saved so that we may please Him. Instead, if this is where you are and you don't know that God loves you, don't start with the Ten Commandments. Start by learning more about God. Talk to a Christian friend. Talk to one of the elders. Our church has a number of sessions on Sunday as well as on Tuesday for people who just want to find out more about God. We've got Seek and Discover and we've got inquiry groups. Read one of the Gospels. Don't, don't start with... When people ask, how do I start reading the Bible? They often start with Genesis. Don't start with Genesis. Start with Jesus. Because everything's about Jesus. Start with one of the Gospels. Learn more about who God is and how much He loves you. If you do know that God loves you and you love God and want to please Him, then let's spend some time this week reading through and pressing the Ten Commandments through our hearts. Because the Ten Commandments are a very helpful way of helping God's people quickly diagnose the areas in our lives where we are failing to love God. Which brings me to my second point. As we read the Ten Commandments, be sure to read them in light of the New Testament to read the Ten Commandments in light of the New Testament. So the book of Deuteronomy was written about events that occurred before Jesus Christ came. And since Christ came, He changed the way we are to view the Old Testament laws, including the Ten Commandments. And we don't have time to talk about all the different laws in the Old Testament, but for the Ten Commandments, know this, that they do apply to us, but with some development. Some of them have been intensified. For example, Instead of you sh just you shall not murder, Jesus says we shouldn't even be angry at someone. So some of them have been intensified. Some others have been reframed, such as what does it mean to truly keep the Sabbath? As you read through the Ten Commandments, and you're not sure how to, how to interpret, it, interpret them in light of the New Testament, approach one of the elders, approach your CG leader. There are lots of verses that 
help us unpack the Old Testament in light of the Gospel. So first, remember why the, new, the Ten Commandments are there. Second, read them in light of the New Testament. And third, remember that the commandments are meant to be obeyed. Remember that the Ten Commandments are meant to be obeyed. Look at um, verse 1 of chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And at the end of the chapter, you shall be careful therefore, this is verses 32 to 33, you shall be careful therefore to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. And we learn later on that these commandments are meant to be written on stone and put in highly visible places and they're meant to be read out to the congregation every seven years. These commandments are meant to be obeyed. Like, like vows in a marriage, all intimate relationships need to have an agreement about what the shape of the relationship would look like and what each person is committing to in the relationship. And, and like in a, in a marriage, these vows are not just for the video of the wedding, they're meant to be kept. Likewise, the Ten Commandments gave the Israelites the shape of their relationship between themselves and God and each other, and they are meant to be obeyed. Obeying God's commands was not just for the Old Testament Israelites, they are, it applies to us who live after Christ has come as well. We see this throughout the Bible, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasizes the importance of keeping not just the Ten Commandments, but the intensified version of the Ten Commandments. In, in 1 John 5, we're reminded about that an important part of our relationship with God is by expressing our love to Him in obedience. The thing is, many of us Christians, including myself, we tend to downplay the importance of obedience in our lives. We, we don't get the full gospel. We know that we're saved by grace through faith, but we forget the good works part, to walk in works that God has prepared beforehand for us. And this has led to some very real problems today. One of the, re one of the leading reasons for hostility to Christians is Christian hypocrisy. Saying one thing, but living another way. If we Christians were to respond to God's love by obeying His, His word, and I mean all of His word, not just parts that we like, there will be far less hostility to the Christian faith. If we talk to non-Christians, one of the big issues at the moment is that of the homosexual agenda. And they'll talk about, why, why is it that you Christians keep talking about it? And may I say that, I, I don't want to talk about this issue today, but what I want, do want to say is, when we talk about the homosexual agenda, do we talk with as much conviction and, and passion about all other sexual sins? Do we look at pornography and lust and adultery in the same category as homosexuality? Do we look at other sins the same way? Do we look at lying and cheating and envy and all these things? 
I don't know about you, but I, I don't. Why is that? Because I, I tend to speak with such conviction about sins that are less important to me, less real to me. And for those that I struggle with, I, I try to minimize them. I strongly encourage us to respond to today's passage by spending time to go through the Ten Commandments in light of the New Testament, not just the commandments that we are okay with, but all the commandments, those that we struggle with and those that we don't. Let's, let's be honest with our, ourselves and God. Let's go through our lives with a fine-tooth comb, asking God to help to reveal to us where we are falling short of His standards. Questions to ask maybe, is there an area or person in my life that I'm treasuring more than God? I know that that applies to me. Do I have difficulty in trusting God enough to take time to rest from work? Or to let my employees rest from work? I know that applies to me. Am I honouring my parents? I don't think about that nearly often enough. Is lust an issue, not just in my life, but especially in my thought life? Have I harboured anger against someone? These are just some questions we should be asking ourselves. And the Ten Commandments teach us to respond to these commandments with honesty, but also remembering that we're responding to God's love with love and obedience. But as we take time to go through these commandments, we, we need to ask the question, is this possible in the first place? Are we able to obey God's commands? And the un- this is the last point for today, but okay, I've got three sub-points. The answer is this, and it's a bit complicated. No, we can't. Yes, we can. And yes, we have and will. No, we can't. Yes, we have. And yes, we can. And we'll. I'm, I'm going to go through them each one by one. Firstly, no, we can't. No, we can't obey. We learn later in the book of Deuteronomy in, in 31 verse 16 that God told is, the, is Moses that the Israelites were going to fail abysmally. They were going to break, shatter their covenant with God. The verses are up there on the screen for us. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, i.e. you're going to die. Then these people will rise and haul after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Remember how I said that the Ten Commandments were like wedding vows? The Israelites were going to break their wedding vows. They're going to haul after other gods. So we learn here that even as God gives the Ten Commandments, we, we learn that the Israelites were doomed to fail. And, and the truth is, we are all doomed to fail. It's impossible on our own to keep all of God's laws all of the time. We can keep most of them some of the time. We can keep some of them most of the time, but never all of them all of the time. That one moment where we don't love God perfectly. That one moment we say me first, the one moment we want something that our neighbour has, we no longer meet the perfect standard. And the response, our response to failure should be fear. We should be scared out of our minds. That's what forms the immediate context of the Ten Commandments. Fear. Look, look at me at 
verses 4 to 5 of chapter 5. It tells us, The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain. This is Moses talking to the Israelites. Out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. So the context before the Ten Commandments is fear. The context after the Ten Commandments is also fear. Look at verses 24 to 27. Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his, this is the Israelites talking, has shown us his glory and greatness. Glory means presence. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. And because of how scared, flat out scared they were of God's glory, of God's presence, the Israelites asked God, Moses to be a mediator, to stand between God and themselves. So the lesson here is this, on our own, we can't perfectly obey the Ten Commandments and so we too should fear God's judgment, God's jealousy, God's glory and His presence. But as some of us well know, that's not the end of the story. Thank God that's not the end of the story. Flip forward to 2 Corinthians 3.18 and it says something very bizarre, especially we've just read Deuteronomy 5. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, in Deuteronomy 5, our passage, the people are so terrified of God's presence, they don't even want to go near to Him. In fact, they can't even tahan to hear His voice. But then you look at how Paul is describing us in, in, the, in 2 Corinthians. He is actually making reference to, the encounter that, to this encounter in Deuteronomy 5 of the encounter that Moses is having with the Israelites. No, the, Moses at, the encounter Moses and the Israelites are having with God, the one where they're so scared that they don't even want to go into His presence. By saying that for us, we don't need to be afraid. We can go to God and directly behold, to directly be in God's presence without any fear, with confidence. So what is it that's changed? It's not that God's presence is different. It's still frightening and awesome. He's still a jealous God who will judge the iniquity, the sins of all generations. It's not that humans are different. You read through the Old Testament and you realize that we are exactly the same. No, it's that the mediator is different and he makes all the difference. You see, the Israelites had Moses as the mediator, you may have spotted it just now, to stand between God and them. Moses was a, a good mediator. In fact, you could even say he was a great mediator. But he wasn't a perfect mediator. Moses sinned. He sinned and so even he couldn't enter the promised land. And Moses died. But you see, for us, in Christ, we have a better mediator, a perfect mediator who didn't sin and will never die. A mediator who fulfilled the law on our behalf. We get that from Matthew 5. Who takes 
the sin of all generations so that all of us who put our faith in Him, who put our faith in our perfect mediator, don't need to fear God's presence, but can enter His presence with confidence. In Christ, we have a perfect mediator. We have obeyed God's law in Christ so that God's jealousy can be satisfied, so that we can enter God's presence and behold Him with unveiled face, with confidence, and we can trust that His love is lavished upon us. But that's not the end of it. On our own, we can't obey God's law. We've gone through that. In Christ, we have obeyed God's law. And in Christ, we can and will obey God's law. In Christ, we can and will obey God's law. Christ has saved us. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. So how do we live this life now? We've put our faith in Christ. What now? We respond to God's love with love and obedience. That's what we were always supposed to do. And that's what now God enables us to do. Look at me at verse at Deuteronomy 5, verse 29. After God's people had spoken about their fear of God and desire to obey His commandments in the previous verses, God says this, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments. You see, you see the, the heart, the heart, our hearts, is the problem. The Israelites couldn't fear God, they couldn't perfectly keep all His commandments because there was something fundamentally wrong with their hearts. There's something fundamentally wrong with our hearts. Moses was not just the imperfect mediator, he was also the imperfect teacher. If you look at chapter 5, you will learn that Moses was the mediator. God said... He, God would tell Moses his commandments and Moses' job was to teach God's people his commandments. But Moses, though he could tell them what the commandments were, God says the problem is he couldn't make them obey. He couldn't change their hearts. And God knew that the problem was the heart, so God promised later in Deuteronomy to fix the heart. Look at chapter 30, verse 6. And he says, And the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. The context of this is God has just told Moses that Moses has just told the, the, the people that they're definitely going to fail. But then God will circumcise their hearts. God sent His Son not just to fulfill the law on our behalf, but to circumcise our hearts, to give us new hearts. All of us who are in Christ, we are given the Spirit. You can look at Acts 15 or Romans 5. We are given the Spirit not just so that we may obey the law, which is part of it. We are given new hearts so that we may obey the law, but so that we may love the law. We, we are given new hearts so that we may love the law because we love the giver of the law the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf and gives the law so that we may learn to respond to His love with love and obedience. God gives us His Spirit. He circumcises our hearts so that we may be like the psalmist who says, how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. I thought I, may, I might share about how God is using this passage to speak into my life while I was preparing for this message. As I was praying through the Ten Commandments, one commandment 
caught my eye. The command not to murder, which, which is not that I want to murder someone, which I know from Matthew 5 has been intensified so that I know I shouldn't even be angry with someone. And as I was, I was reading through the Ten Commandments, God in His sovereignty and grace used this to convict me of a sin in my own life. So a while back, someone sent a very nasty email about me. And even though this happened a few months ago, whenever I thought about it, the, the hot feelings of anger and hurt would come bubbling back to the surface. And even though I didn't realize it, when I was doing nothing and I thought about it, this tape would still be playing in my mind. The feelings of anger and what, how I wish I could res- have a witty retort or put the person down or try to respond in a way that made me feel so much better. I knew I shouldn't respond like that. And I would, after that, I'd be like, oh no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, it's something that I've really been struggling with. And God used the Ten Commandments to, to remind me that, hey, you should deal with that. If you love me, obey me. So in applying the things that we've just gone through today, I, I, I am resolving to do three things. And you, when you see me next week, you can ask me, have I been trying to do that? Firstly, to thank God that it's not in my own performance that I'm saved. Thank God, because I would be condemned. Though Christ had the right to be angry with me, he chose not to be. And because he chose not to be, he fulfilled the law on my behalf so that I can be forgiven by him and I can follow by forgiving any hurt that people have done for, on me. Secondly, I can thank God for using his law to convict me of sin in my life. Because, and I'm sure that anyone who's ever been angry with someone can identify with this, the anger ultimately damages my own soul, slowly poisoning it and hardening my heart to God. Thirdly, to resolve to obey God by working on my anger, working to forgive the brother and to love him. The next time I I think about it, to remember, hey, love him. The next time I want to be angry, hey, forgive him. Because I angered God in ways much worse than a nasty email. And though it's difficult, and I don't mean to give the game away, but it really will be difficult. I know I can keep at it. I should keep at it. I should persevere because God has promised that His Spirit will persevere with me. I may not overcome it before I die. And there are some sins in our lives that we will, some thorns in our lives we may struggle with until the day we die. But I keep at it because I know that there'll be progress and I know that I will definitely overcome it when I am perfected and see Jesus face to face. Because after all, I have obeyed all of it in Christ. And it is in Christ that God will see me at the end of all days face to face. So you see, if we read only the Ten Commandments, we'll see a dictator God who wants to control our lives. If we read the wider context, we'll see that God has already rescued His people because He loves them and wants to teach them how to live as His people, how to love Him and how to love each other. If we read the even bigger context, we'll see how God not only gives us the law, but He sends His own Son to fulfill the law on our behalf, to be the perfect mediator. 
And He sends His own Spirit to teach us the law, to change us from the inside out, to be the perfect teacher so, we th- so that we can love Him and His commandments. Let me end this morning with a, with a story that uh, Tim Keller has, has told about uh, a writer named Dorothy Sayers. So Dorothy Sayers wrote a series of detective novels about a main character called Lord Peter Whimsey. Peter Whimsey is portrayed in the, in the stories as an unhappy and broken bachelor. But halfway through the series, a new character is introduced uh, named Harriet Vane. Harriet Vane is described as one of the first women to graduate from Oxford, and she's a writer of mystery novels. Harriet and Peter fall in love, and we read about how Harriet helps to heal Peter, the mess that he is in. But here's the thing, like the character that she wrote about, Dorothy Sayers, the writer, was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. She too was a writer of mystery novels. Do you see what happened? What happened was that Dorothy Sayers, the writer, saw that her character, Lord Peter Whimsey, was in trouble and in need of help. He needed someone to mend and heal him. So we, we can see what she did, right? She wrote herself into the story. She looked at the world that she created and wrote herself into the story to heal her character. My brothers and sisters, the Ten Commandments is part of a bigger story. It's part of God's love story, how, of how God created the world, created all of us. A story of how we have all turned away from Him and we are broken. We are messing up our lives more and more each day. And God, the Creator, looks into this world and for no reason other than love for us, He writes Himself into our story. God's Son and Spirit are written into our story to be the perfect mediator and teacher, to fulfill the law on our behalf, to teach us how to respond to God's love by loving God with all our hearts, with a new circumcised heart. So this morning, let's respond to God's love and obedience, trusting Him and loving Him. Let's obey knowing that ultimately our only hope of righteousness is not in ourselves, but it's in the God who wrote Himself into our lives that we may have eternal life. Let's pray. Can I just give us a moment to reflect on what God's Word may be convicting in our hearts today? Some of us may be hearing the, this gospel message for the first time. Some of us may have been hearing the wrong gospel message. Know this, you are saved by grace through faith. For other of us, others of us, we may have known this story, but we may have grown lax in our walk. Like in a marriage that has grown stale, we focus on what Christ has done for us and not what we are called to do. Friends, know this, God calls us to obey that we may live the life that He created us to live. 
gracious God, we thank you for writing yourself into our story. We thank you for sending your son that we may have love and hope and peace. We thank you that you do not just save us so that to leave us to live this life on our own, but you save us and then teach us how to live. And I pray for us this morning that for those of us who have not known the gospel before, that we will respond to your story of love with gratefulness and thanksgiving and love. Those of us who have, who are, do call ourselves your people, may we respond in obedience that others may look up at our lives and say, what God, righteous and compassionate, has given such wonderful laws that His people may shine like light on a hill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.